Today's scripture reading is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Please follow along as I read. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound, touch, uh, t- sound teaching, excuse me, <clears throat> but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I, am, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. May God add his blessing to his word. Thank you, Tony. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. Our sermon text for today is eight, verse 18 through 20. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. I want to suggest... Uh, this morning that God, Jesus, doesn't call you to a flashy ministry. Jesus calls you instead to a faithful ministry. Uh, Remember, if you are a Christian, you are a minister. You are called to serve others for the sake of Christ. And again, you are not called to have a flashy ministry with lots of glitz and glamour, but instead a faithful ministry. But what does that include? Well, first of all, as we have learned in the first 17 verses of this letter written by Paul to Timothy, when we rehearse the testimony, the conversion of Paul, we're reminded that the the eternal life that we enjoy is a result of God's mercy and grace given to us lavishly in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That that is good news. And the more we think about this good news, or this gospel, the more we just want to break out in doxology, as in verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. A faithful ministry includes making much of this glorious gospel. Uh, We want to speak and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ for the joy of all people and for the glory of God. And as we have already learned, the motive for this kind of ministry is love. Love for God and love for people. Uh, This love comes from a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. So for Timothy then, and 
for you. A faithful ministry includes fighting the good fight of faith, strengthened and enabled by the Holy Spirit. We want to trust and obey Jesus in all of life for the glory of God. All, all believers are called to this kind of faithful ministry, uh, generally speaking. But then there are more specifically, more specifically, each of us will be given responsibilities in serving others for the sake of Christ also, depending on, on your role in the church, your spiritual gifts, etc. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on this morning. But as for Timothy, Timothy's responsibilities were clear. In verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my son. So to what charge was he referring? Well, in verse 3, Paul charged Timothy to command certain men to not teach a different doctrine. One of Timothy's responsibilities here in the church of Ephesus was to make sure certain men no longer were teaching a doctrine that led to speculation and confusion. Stop teaching myths and endless genealogy, genealogies which would lead to vain discussions. It, it didn't edify the saints, it didn't glorify God, it wasn't the right use of the law, it wasn't in step with the gospel, it lacked the power to change lives, it, it didn't produce a life filled with good order that comes from God through faith. Now, we, we don't know exactly what all they were teaching, but apparently they were even very confident in what they were saying about the law. The, the problem is that whatever they were saying was, in fact, a misuse of the law. Um, we're, we're told that much in this text. It, it's possible that they were teaching that their obedience to the law was the basis for their acceptance before God. And if this was what they were teaching, it clearly contradicted the gospel of the glory of our blessed God that was entrusted to Paul. They failed to recognize that one of the primary and good purposes of the law was to reveal sin, not to establish one's own righteousness. What they were teaching diminished the place of the gospel. Um, and... Certainly, the gospel needed to have a more prominent place in their lives. And so Timothy was responsible to stop this different doctrine that was negatively influencing the church. Timothy had this responsibility because Paul gave it to him. Paul entrusted this charge to Timothy. Timothy, or excuse me, Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Timothy was his spiritual son. That means Paul had the authority and he had the weight of responsibility to train and equip Timothy for ministry. Um, and, and though they had traveled together extensively on missionary journeys, taking the gospel to new places, Timothy is now charged with the responsibility to stay in Ephesus to accomplish this work. work. Paul, Paul couldn't be there. But he trusted Timothy to work hard to guard this good deposit of the gospel in the church. But it, it wasn't just Paul that gave this type of responsibility to Timothy. In verse 18, Paul reminds Timothy of the prophecies 
previously made about him. Um, In chapter 4, verse 14 of 1 Timothy, Paul also mentions this same thing. There, Paul says, Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Um, Later in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says something similar when he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So it is possible that all of these verses are speaking of the same event. Um, It's possible, um, and I think lightly, that this took place there in Acts 16, when the church in Lystra recognized the gifts given to Timothy by the Holy Spirit, uh, we aren't given all of the details, but it's clear that the church and the leaders of the church in particular recognized the gifts given to Timothy and recognized that it was the Spirit's desire for Timothy to, set, to be set apart for the gospel ministry, a ministry that included traveling with Paul on his missionary journeys to make the gospel known, to call people to repentance and faith, and to teach people to obey all that Jesus had taught. Timothy was not a lone ranger. He wasn't a maverick ministering on his own initiative. Uh, These prophecies undoubtedly came from both the Apostle Paul and the church when they recognized God's will for Timothy's life to be set apart for gospel ministry in the church with Paul. Uh, And and Timothy obviously needed to hear these uh, and to be reminded of these prophecies. Uh, Paul mentions them here, I think, to encourage Timothy and to spur him on to faithfulness, to love and good deeds. Yes, what Timothy was charged with, uh, what he was responsible to do in Ephesus was a a weighty matter. Uh, But In discharging this responsibility, Timothy would be faithful to do what God had called him to do. Um, Timothy could function in the Ephesian church knowing that he was doing the very thing that God called him to do. And it was not just Timothy recognizing that. The Ephesian church also needed to recognize that Timothy's presence in ministry was the very thing that Jesus wanted. So if you remember, uh, myths, uh, myths um, Timothy had the responsibility to stop the teaching of these myths. Myths are popular, widely held, but false beliefs. That's what Timothy had to refute. He had to stand up to men who were filled with confidence, but were in fact dead wrong. Um, and it would not be an easy task, but Paul reminds Timothy later in 2 Timothy 4, 7, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. These responsibilities were clear to Timothy, but I would also, also argue this morning that Jesus teaches throughout the Word that ministry responsibilities are also clear for you. Your role Your spiritual gift may be different than Timothy, but your ministry responsibilities are made clear through the Word. Um, It all starts when Jesus commands you to repent and believe the gospel, Mark 1.15. 
This is only possible when you are born again by the Spirit, John 3. And Ephesians 2 makes it clear that we are saved by grace through faith. I mean, Ephesians 2, even grace is a gift from God. And then as a follower of Christ, you are called to obey all that Jesus commanded, Matthew 28. Again, this is possible only with the help of the Spirit. Now, added to that, uh, you are called to worship God in spirit and truth, John 4. In other words, God is worthy to be central in your life for, for you to do all that you do for God's glory, 1 Corinthians 10. Everything that you do should be an expression of love for God and love for neighbor, Matthew 22. Again, only when you are in relationship with Jesus is that possible. In other words, as a branch, you must be attached to the vine. Uh, this is how good fruit will be produced in your life, John 15. All of these things describe your relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, enabled by the Holy Spirit. When you have become a disciple of Jesus in this way, you are also given the responsibility or the ministry of influencing others to do the same. You're called to make disciples. Uh, do this as you go about your day. Make known the gospel. Speak of Jesus. Call people to repent and believe the gospel. Teach them to be baptized as a believer. Let, letting the world know that they are now a follower of Jesus. And, and then teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. This is a lifetime work, a lifetime ministry for all of us. What, what I'm saying is this. You are called to be a disciple of Jesus, and you are called to be a disciple maker of Jesus. Both of these responsibilities flourish when you are connected to the local church in a meaningful way. It is in the local church that you use the, your spiritual gift or gifts that Jesus has given to you. First uh, Peter 4 teaches us that all spiritual gifts fall into two broad categories of either speaking gifts or serving gifts. But both of these broad categories of gifts are intended to be used for the building up of the church and for the glory of God, so that we mature more and more, become more Christ-like in every way. So, so someone might ask, well, how, how do we know what our spiritual gift is? And uh, I think it's helpful to do a study on spiritual gifts, of, as we have done here several times. But more simply, I would, I would simply say to you this morning, love God and love people. And when you see a need, go and meet that need. If God's gifted you in a certain way, you're going to see certain needs. Go, go and meet those needs that you see. Some have the gift of mercy, and they recognize people when they're hurting. Sometimes people are gifted with the, with the gift of knowledge, and they might walk past someone who is hurting, not even see them, but they're thinking carefully about sound doctrine and the importance of teaching the truth. Not everyone is gifted the same way, but all, every member of the body is gifted. 
And the important thing is to be living in step with the Spirit. And when you see a need, go and meet that need for their good and for God's glory. Now, I would argue it's also clear that elders are called to shepherd the flock. They're entrusted to care for the flock. That means they lead the flock, they feed the flock, they care for the flock, they protect the flock. Deacons are charged to lead the church in serving in a plethora of ways to meet the needs of people. Um, But I would also argue, very importantly, that every member of the church also ministers. And again, you might ask, well, how? how? How am I responsible? How am I called to minister? Well, I want you for, I think, one primary area, consider the one and other commandments. All 37 of them. And yes, I'm going to read through this whole list of 37 one another commandments. They are actually on your, the backside of your outline if you, want to, if you want to look there. It gives us a little bit of a flavor of the kind of ministry that we're called to, the kind of responsibility that we have within the body, within the church. Accept one another. Bear with one another. Be at peace with one another. Be devoted to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Be of the same mind toward one another. Be patient with one another. Care for one another. Carry one another's burdens. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Confess sins to one another. Don't bite and devour each other. Don't grumble against each other. Don't slander one another. Edify one another. Encourage one another. Esteem one another. Fellowship with one another. Forgive one another. Greet one another. Have equal concern for one another. Honor one another. Instruct one another. Love one another. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification for one another. Offer hospitality to one another. Pray for one another. Prefer one another. Serve one another. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Stop envying each other. Stop passing judgment on one another. Stop provoking or challenging each other. Submit to one another. Wait for one another. Wash one another's feet. Let me catch my breath just for a minute. I I don't mean to overwhelm you by reading through that list. Um, Timothy's responsibilities in the Ephesian church was clear as this letter, 1 Timothy, will teach. But I also want you to know that your ministry responsibilities here at Grace Hill were also clear. Be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Follow Christ. Be a disciple maker of Jesus. Influence other people to also follow Christ. Use your spiritual gift or gifts for building up the bodies. Elders have their particular roles. Deacons have their roles. But every member, every single member of the body ministers as taught by these one another commands. So you don't need to be overwhelmed. Instead, all of this is possible because of the life that God has given to you in Jesus. And because of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and empowers us for this kind of life, for this kind of ministry. I I said as we started, Jesus has not called you to a flashy ministry, but just be faithful in ministry. And that's where Paul now takes us as as he speaks to Timothy. Listen again to verse 18 and 19. 
this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So it's clear here that Timothy's responsibilities simply require faithfulness. Keep this charge, Timothy, so that you may wage the good warfare. This is another way of saying, fight the good fight of faith, as is spoken of in chapter 6, verse 12. Like a good soldier in battle, fight the good fight. Do your part. Engage in the battle. Stand your ground, as Ephesians 6 teaches us. Discharge all of your responsibilities. And that meant initially... Uh, seeing to it that certain men stop teaching different doctrine there in Ephesus. It's, I think, as we think about this, it's, it's helpful for us to remember that Jesus promised to build his church. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Won't stop it. Jesus said this in, we learn in Matthew 16, Jesus said this in the most northern portion of Israel, in Caesarea Philippi. And what's interesting is that was the home of several temples of false gods. And that's where the the gates of Hades, right next to these temples, existed. What was was thought to be the gates of Hades. Um, Shelley and I visited there. We saw the remains of these temples. And Certainly, it reminded us, it's true that there are many threats to the church. But it's more true, it's more significant to remember that Jesus promises, and in fact, has all of the power to to keep that promise, to build his church in such a way that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, we are told, finally, be strong in the Lord and then in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So Timothy waves the good warfare, having put on all of the armor of God. And then verse 19 says, holding faith in a good conscience. So holding faith or Keeping faith is a way to describe the importance of daily trusting Jesus. Live every day in utter dependence upon Christ. And since you live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, as Galatians 5.25 says. That's, that's how you will be faithful. And the text says, maintain a good conscience. You, you can trust Christ. You can keep in step with the Spirit, and you can keep a good conscience when you do what Christ wants you to do. You you maintain a soft, responsive heart before God. You you hear the whisper of His voice and you obey. You, You don't stubbornly resist Christ's command or the Spirit's leading. You, You don't allow yourself to be guilty of not doing what Christ has commanded you to do. You You don't go your own way when the Holy Spirit teaches you to go in the way of Christ. You are simply faithful in trusting Christ and following Christ. And sometimes that means that you you must repent and 
trust Christ for the forgiveness of sin. We're not perfect. We blow it. We sin against God and against other people. But sin doesn't need to be the end of our story when we preach the gospel to ourselves again and again, when we believe the gospel ourselves. This is how we change and grow. This is how we'll be faithful, holding faith and a good conscience. We know that only the blood of Jesus can cleanse our guilty conscience, and only the power of Jesus can keep us faithful. So in, in the end of verse 19, Paul reminds Timothy, kind of in a sober way, that by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. In other words, if, if you reject the need to maintain a good conscience, you, you will continue on in your sin, and you will make a shipwreck of your faith. And normally shipwrecks don't end well. So, so Paul is urging Timothy to be faithful, to follow Christ, to keep in step with the Spirit, holding faith and a good conscience. So what Timothy needed to hear, you also need to hear. Ministry responsibilities require your faithfulness, hold, holding faith and a good conscience. Now, there's one final thing in verse 20. Uh, Timothy can follow the example of Paul. Um, Paul mentions two names um, of people here, verse 20, men who have rejected a good conscience and therefore have not remained faithful to Christ. Verse 20 says, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, Hymenaeus is mentioned again in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17 as a false teacher whose teachings spread like gangrene. Not, not a pretty picture. Um, there are several Alexanders in the New Testament, and we don't know with certainty the identity of this Alexander, but here Paul says they were guilty of blaspheming. Um, that meant they were in effect constantly speaking against Christ, um, having contempt for Christ, uh, doubting Christ and the things that he said, and worse yet, associating the identity and work of Christ not with God but with the evil one. And at this point, up until this point, they had not yet repented. Though given an opportunity to repent. And so Paul led the church in exercising church discipline against them. And church discipline is not punitive. It's redemptive. As stated here in this verse, Paul handed them over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. That was the purpose. To expose their sin, calling them to repentance. So this is a sober and weighty matter, a necessary matter. Uh, when someone is guilty of an unrepentant sin, such as blaspheming, and they persist in that sin, Paul teaches us here and other places we're taught in the New Testament, they are to be removed from the church. They are removed from the protection of the church, the protection of Christ. That is a 
sober reality to live away from the umbrella of God's protection in the church and in the person of Christ. They are completely then open to the will and the whim of the evil one. That's a scary ordeal. But again, remember, this isn't punitive. This is meant to wake them up. If they truly belong to Christ, church discipline is meant to lead someone back to a right relationship with Christ where they enjoy the protection and the provision of Christ, where they hold faith in a good conscience. And if they repent, their sin is forgiven and they're restored to a right relationship with Christ. That's the goal. That's the goal. It's not punitive. It's redemptive. So why does Paul tell Timothy's these things at this point in the letter? I, I think he's preparing Timothy for the fact that he, he may have to do this same kind of thing with certain, these certain men who are teaching a different doctrine. He may. Uh, Paul is preparing Timothy for the fact that if these men don't respond well to the ministry that Christ is commanding him to have in their lives, church discipline may be necessary. T Timothy may have to lead the church in removing these men from the church so that they learn the need to submit to and follow Christ. Um, and as Matthew 18 teaches us, sometimes church discipline is a process, and you, it happens over time. Sometimes, according to 1 Corinthians 5, we learn that, teaching, we, we learn that, that church discipline in some cases is so severe and the hearts of people are so hard that immediate church discipline is necessary. But in this context, Paul also tells Timothy that this kind of a ministry is motivated by love. You want what is best for God's people. You want God's best for people. It's not good. It's not good for people to live their lives in flagrant disobedience to Christ and who refuse to repent, especially those who claim at the very same time to be followers of Christ and maybe even leaders or teachers in the church. So this is a weighty and a serious matter that is meant to be an expression of love to rescue someone from their stubborn sin. So I think Paul mentions it here to Timothy because he wants to prepare him. You, you can trust the Spirit of God to enable you to do even hard ministry if necessary. And as Timothy learned from the example of Paul, you too can learn from those who have gone before you. Um, we're, we're blessed that way as we live within the church. That there are people that God has put in our lives that have been very influential in our lives, and we learn from their example. We, we learn from how they've lived their life and things that they have taught. I'm particularly blessed by... Um, the, the, the life, the ministry of Dave Dernland, Tim Pasma, and Brad Brandt, and, and others who 
have invested in me and in Shelley, who've influenced us, who've taught us, who've corrected us, who've trained us, who've imparted life to us. Uh, I was just struck in a very humble way when I went to seminary and realized uh, I was interacting with a lot of guys in seminary who had never in their life had a positive church experience. Um, they had desires for ministry, but they were there kind of on their own, kind of like a lone ranger, a maverick. I, I want to do this, but they were disconnected from any sense of a healthy church. And I kind of, Shelley and I were really grounded in a solid church with godly leaders, and we kind of thought, that happens everywhere. That's the way it should happen. And our lives are greatly impacted by that, but there, there are lots of people who don't have positive experiences from a church experience. That's not God's plan. That's not God's desire. God desires for the church to be filled with elders and deacons and every member ministering in such a way that our hearts are nurtured and nourished with the Word of God in such a way that what we want to do more than anything else is to follow Christ, to be faithful to Him, um, to be willing to engage in ministry um, sacrificially with joy because we, we love Christ, we love His body, we want to see the body built up, and we're, we're devoted to one another in that way because of the mercy and grace that God has poured out into our lives in the person of Jesus uh, by his Spirit. And so as we end this morning, I want to I just pray for us as a church. I'm thankful to God for you. I'm thankful for just the joy of fellowshipping with you, worshiping with you, learning with you. Uh, we, we are really blessed. God, God has given us, I believe, in our church family, just a sweet spirit where we, we share together a common commitment to make much of Christ. And uh, let's pray that we'll be faithful in the ministry that he has called us, whatever, whatever that might be. So let's pray together. Father, we... It is good for us to be reminded that we are here this morning with a desire for you, a desire to worship you, a desire to be faithful to you. It's really in response to what you have done to cause us to be born again, to gift us with faith, to place within our heart a desire for you, a desire to love you, a desire to love one another. Um, Father, I pray for all of us this morning, young and old alike, um, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, encourage each one with the significance and the weightiness of their role within this body. Um, as we walk through even just the one another commandments, those are things all of us are called to do. And... Lord, we're thankful that we, we're not figuring this out alone. You've given your spirit to dwell with us and to empower us. And you have prepared each of us uniquely with gifts that enable us to see various needs throughout the body. And I, I pray, Father, that you would, by your spirit, 
work freely among us so that when we see needs in the lives of other people, we would go and, and meet those needs humbly, depending upon you, and do it for their good, and do it for your glory. And I pray that all of us would be, would be faithful in that, that we wouldn't be stubborn, we wouldn't have hard hearts, we'd be responsive to your spirit, that we'd live in step with your spirit, that you speak even with a whisper, and we hear and we obey. And so, Father, I pray that as a result of all of this, what Jesus promised will in fact become more and more evident that the church of Jesus Christ will be, will be built up and even the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So, Father, make us strong, make us more like Christ. May all of these things reflect your character for the praise of your matchless name, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.